Welcome back to A Thousand Names for God. My name is Rick Alexander. I'm the host of this podcast. As always, the show notes have all of the sources mentioned as well as all of the ways that you can connect and work with me. Without further ado, on to the show. with Dr. Danielle McGinnis and myself, Rick Alexander, and today we're going to touch on the concept of spiritual materialism. Uh, Before we get into it, we wanted to say a couple of things about our upcoming book club on trauma and the soul. Danielle, did you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so this is our fifth book club, I think, something like that. Yeah, fourth or fifth, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, Over the last few book clubs, we've been taking stock about the type of material that we want to be in dialogue and discussion with. And the book Trauma and the Soul, I've read it twice already, and I've just found it really, really impactful for my personal ways of navigating working with people with trauma. It's not just for practitioners. So anybody out there that does work with trauma, certainly um, I would encourage you to maybe engage with this but also if you like to be like intellectually psychologically um and spiritually stretched i think this book is is really great and it talks about the different psycho dynamics of what happens during a traumatic experience and how people deal with that and how to approach that and how to hold space for that and so um it uses Dante's Inferno as kind of the images beneath to kind of for the archetypal basis of it. And so really, really excited. Um, as always, it is donation based. So pay what you want. And it starts April 24th is our orientation call. So we don't start reading the book till after that. Um, but if you're interested in being in a community with deep conversations that kind of I don't know, weave in and out of the spirit, psycho-spiritual space, like this is definitely a community for that. Yeah, it was some, something I said on the last episode I did on my own channel was also too, it's a good, it's a good way to like engage in the depth psychological world if you don't have any introduction to it. Uh, in the last cohort, we had a few people that had like decent understandings of psychology, but just hadn't really waded into the depth psychological space that's been so transforming for both you and I that we're kind of dedicating a lot of our lives to. Um, So it's a good time or a good place and good way to just learn more about that perspective on life in general, I think, too. Yeah, for sure. So today we're going to talk about spiritual materialism. And I think for me, I'm, I'm feeling a sense of like really thinking that this is a really tricky space to navigate because in our culture there are pockets of it everywhere that you look um so let's start off just talking about what materialism is and then we can move into uh kind of like what happens when spiritual paths appropriate materialism so talk about materialism first okay so 
Materialism is defined as a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. Um, in simple words, the attitude of someone who attaches a lot more importance to money and wants to possess a lot of material things. The rising consumer materialism in society at large. Um, the belief that only physical matters exist and there is no spiritual world. Yeah. So when those things, those two things come together, that's an interesting. So materialism, like as as outlined right there, is a, it's a whole philosophical outlook, right? And and you might hear it called naturalism or empiricism. There's different versions of it that emphasize different points, but it's the idea that that what you see is what you get. Everything on the surface is what actually matters. There is no depth. There isn't an underlying structure. And, um, you know, for me, like having, you know, growing up, finding that the spiritual path I was given wasn't going to work for me as an adult, as my psyche was starting to transform and as my consciousness was expanding and realizing, okay, the path, the particular path I was given isn't going to work. I found myself moving toward materialism because there is a sense in materialism of like, wow, I can gratify my own needs. I can get what I need out of this world. I can satisfy myself. And I think we have, all of us have a certain kind of longing to be fully human, to be fully here, to, to fully experience what it means to be alive. And at the same time, death is real and it's always, we're always moving toward it and life is always slipping through our grasp. And so, you know, what happened for me actually when, when living in this place of materialism only is that I started to have the sense that although I could, you know, there's something really seductive about it because you can, one, you can gratify needs immediately, two, you can calculate and you can measure like how much money do I have, right? There are like very tangible things to me. It's a tangible worldview, mm -hmm. but at the same time was this sneaking suspicion that it couldn't satisfy this deeper need I had to be fully alive. And those mm -hmm. two were in conflict in me for a really long time. So are you speaking here of materialism filtered through consumerism, like consuming material things, possessions, money, cars, alcohol like like matter yeah matter in our okay. culture i think that's where it goes okay so i think this will kind of lead into the conversation but perhaps maybe like what do you think are the primary symptoms of living materialistically the primary symptoms yeah just like common things that you would notice or see a lack of connection to soul for sure Right. So like kind of like what you said, the like what you see is what you get. There's nothing, but it's like a literal way of living where it's like talked about this in a paper, right? It's like what I'm experiencing and what is happening. That's it. There's nothing. There's no myth underneath. There's no anything driving it. It just is what it is. Right, right. And I think that there, I, I want to say just as we're doing this, there, there are definitely natural philosophers that would make a case for depth in the material world. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so I don't want to, I don't want to make some like kind of broad sweeping view, but in my estimation, when one lives from a materialistic standpoint, I mean, you just get the sense that we're not only material beings, you know? And so, mm -hmm. and so you, you get the sense that like, 
if you have depth, then the symptoms like neuroses and stuff that are coming up for you are actually like leading you toward that depth or leading you toward wholeness in some way. But if you don't have any depth, if there isn't anything else, mm-hmm. then symptoms are like only something to get rid of. And so like I found myself playing like whack-a-mole with my mental health, for example. So it's in a materialistic worldview, symptoms are walls into experiencing more material in Mm. a depth perspective symptoms are doorways into the natural movement of psyche perfectly put yeah that's a really good way to put it well it's interesting too right because i think this will kind of segue into what we're talking about today you know i'm thinking of a client comes to mind and there's like kind of like this The symptom is like this kind of hollow feeling of just emptiness, Mm -hmm. right? But then, you know, the impulse to go buy a course of how to get the love of your life back, Mm. right? So it's like denying that there's anything else driving that hollowness other than a, a, a literal breakup. So then you buy a course this material good to fill the hole as opposed to really diving in and going through the symptom and recognizing that the gods are also in our symptoms, Hmm. which I think is fundamental to Jungian psychology, right? Because like a lot of Jungians talk about neuroses being the symptom of being disconnected from spirit. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how does this connect with spiritual materialism? Are they connected? Like what what do you see are the bridges there? Yeah, so um, Trungpa Rinpoche, who is the founder of Naropa, wrote a book called Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism. Um, and he has a quote here that says, no matter what the practice or teaching, ego loves to wait in ambush to appropriate spirituality for its own survival and gain. Right, so the I think what happens with spiritual materialism is, as you just mentioned in that example, for like the symptom is the biggest problem that I have. You know, my life changed when I realized that the symptom was pointing to something much bigger, and actually symptoms were kind of cyclic in my life. They were like repeating themselves because it, the symptom wasn't the problem. The problem was the problem, and mm-hmm. the symptom was only the manifestation of that thing. And so imagine I don't change my perspective, but then I take spiritual teachings and I still continue to live in the same way. So how do I gratify self? How do I meet? How do I fix these symptoms in my life? Everything, the cosmos is still rotating around the I. It's still rotating around the ego. It's still rotating around me. And I'm just going to use spiritual teachings, mantras, things like that in order to try to manipulate the material to come into alignment with what I want. I think that's spiritual materialism. Man, I have this impulse to cry right now and I don't know why. Every time we do a podcast, you you do that. I don't know why. I think because it makes me really sad. It is sad. Yeah, because there's something fundamentally unfulfilling about it. Well, I'm just like thinking of maybe the times in my life where I thought that would be a solution or, you know, this, this impulse is actually feeling like a a drive towards the gods, right. Mm. Towards psyche or soul. But my, 
all I could receive at that time was just trying again to fill the kind of hollow gaps in myself. And then also maybe ways in which I have unconsciously done that in my like starting my own business and moving away from that at least to the best of my ability but then also seeing it play itself out just right it runs rampant in, mm. in this kind of conscious culture that we're creating and it just makes me sad I posted a meme about that like a, a while back like trying to get to that particular point of like if you go after what you want and you get it and you find yourself unfulfilled the most difficult part is being dead ass honest with yourself that getting what you want didn't satisfy you in the way that you hoped that it would. Oh, it's my whole physical therapy doctor's degree. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, I mean, I think that that, and I think we can talk about why it's so hard for the Western person to conceptualize any kind of perspective that's different than that. Because for the, and this is a huge difference in West and East that I'm, that I'm starting to realize is that the view of psyche in the East has, is like trying to look at psyche soul as totality in which the ego or the individual I, the individual consciousness of a person is a very small part of that. Mm -hmm. But in the West, we don't really have any concept of psyche outside of I. Well, I think that's, you know, I love Hillman. Uh -huh. uh, I think Hillman amplifies that with his revisioning psychology is like, he doesn't think we're anywhere near psychology, mm. the divine movement of soul. Mm. His assertion is that we are living in a time where it's ego psychology and that's it. Yes. And I think, you know... For Helmet, I really like having these discussions because you kind of move east and study that. And Hillman was really stayed in the West and was able to amplify that in a Western way. So it's possible, but it's just not common. Hmm. Um, it's it's you're right. It's possible and not common, but like. For me, at least, like wrestling with this in myself, and like I still, I, I mean, I don't want to put myself as above this conversation. Like I think it's very much the Western struggle of, of which I'm a part. But it's like, you know, if you think of like doing anything not to satisfy the self, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's hard to get there. It's hard to, like, why? What would be, it's hard to see that there's any, there's anything of you beyond what you think of when you say I. And so, especially for the Western person, which is like our entire, our entire system of creating happiness is, is like who can best manipulate the world to get what they want? Because we, uh, there's like an unconscious assumption that getting what you want is going to fulfill the like deepest desires to be alive that you have. And Well, okay. This might get complex, but I, I'm willing to go there if you're willing to go there. Yeah, let's try. Uh, <laughs> You said fulfilling the deepest desires. Well, let's start with that, mm -hmm. right? So I think it's desire for self over the transformation process that spontaneously happens, I think is a problem, like as a starting point. 
Like, I want what I want, and I'm not concerned with, like, what's actually moving in me. Yes. Yes. So I have these desires. Actually, our desire is for the the process to spontaneously unfold, but we're actually above that, thinking it's our desires, but it's the desire to transform. Like, the coming from who effing knows, right? But... That's why I like alchemy, right? It's because the alchemical lens is, okay, so this material that we're working with, it starts with an essence, and it starts in that essence it has value, right? You and I start as an essence, and we also have value. Are we at the highest value at which we could be, meaning connected to all that is, I think we stray pretty far from that across our lifespan. But I think that when we're doing our inner work on ourselves, we have to recognize that we are going to be transformed no matter what. There's a spontaneous movement. It's it's happening. Mm -hmm. But the moment we put our desire for it to be anything other than what it is, over the spontaneous movement itself Mm. I think is where we kind of get off track we like separate and we probably go down the path of spiritual materialism right right because materialism propagates the the idea that like that you can that you don't have to accept what is that you can get what you want Mm. so that's actually we did the podcast love is Mm -hmm. right about love is out there Mm -hmm. that is a form of spiritual materialism right 100 percent. because it's that's what marketing is based off of it's taking these things things Mm -hmm. matter that actually is infused with an essence and it's saying we're not going to talk about the essence of this love Mm -hmm. beauty exploration we're going to talk about the thing and you're going to want the thing, not the essence. Right. And I'm like, that's mar- that's that's marketing. Right, right. Right. I mean, and what marketing has to do is convince you of what I just said. You don't have to accept what is. You can just satisfy whatever your want or desire is. So I think we should talk about desire a little bit. And I, I have no idea where this show is going, so maybe it's going off the rails. But, like, this is what I love about tantric philosophy. Like, the idea is that there every well first of all let's back up to like cosmology every desire desire is what what makes you incarnate the the desire to have an object of your desire is what pulls you from the stars and pulls you into incarnation in the first place based on all kinds of ancient um ancient teachings right so there's this idea that there's something about desire that's innate in us being like something like we it's can't in the essence. do without it kind of thing Right, it's in our essence. And so, but then, so what tantric philosophy would say is that, like, stop trying to get rid of your desire. That's not going to happen. What you have to realize is that your desire is, uh, it's a, it is a fundamental desire for, well, let me read this Wallace quote, who's a tantric. He said, all craving is truly craving for only one thing, the fullness of knowing your true being. Mm. Right. And so... That's the actual desire. And so what happens when we stop short of that is that we end up hungry. Man, I think that tantric philosophy and alchemy are like 
the same thing. Yeah, I have a lot to say about that. Because like essentially, if you look at these old religions, like if you look at old Hinduism, if you look at, I mean, there's tons of strains in this in Christianity, definitely in the Gnostics, is this idea of like, it's the it's world denying. The goal is to like escape. The, the goal is to get the hell out of here. The goal is to not be an animal, right? It is to be spirit only. And both in the West, which is where you get alchemy, and then in the East, which is where you get Tantra, both coming up around the same time, like 800 in the common era up until like 17th century, kind of trails off by the 17th century, but medieval for sure, is this desire to like reconcile the the body is to, to reconcile matter to like how how could it be that we're here to escape that can't be it like well it's interesting because in alchemy based on what you're saying about tantric philosophy um the alchemical process actually wasn't about the alchemist at all it was about the the contemplation of the material transforming mm-hmm. and so it was really actually about removing the eye um, as I was telling you about the the invisibility of the alchemist, right? The alchemist becoming almost like an invisible um, guardian of mm. the process, right? Of like serving the material and being a guardian of the transformation process of the, of the material, so that the divine can emerge. The value can be morally, more highly refined. Mm. The material, the, the metals can be more refined. The essence is still the same, but the, the material changes so that the divine is infused in the material. Mm. So it wasn't getting rid of the material, but it required the alchemists to not make it about what they wanted. Mm. It was about the contemplative activity of watching that unfold and... That's interesting because that process, that contemplative process, actually changes the alchemist without having to do anything but contemplate and be with it and guardian it. Mm. So I think that there's something very similar there. Yeah, totally. And I think, well, like I said, I think that they both arose. You know, I think they both arose out of the same need, which is which was the need to like transform us who are embodied in matter. Um, I, I have a quote that I actually wrote that is like pretty perfect for this out of a paper I'm working on right now. And it says to state it simply when developmental or sorry, when development toward one's necessary spiritual aim is stunted, the desire arises as a nonspecific hunger for worldly things in order to fill an inner void. Totally. Right. So based on that, like I think what happens and, and this is what, I think one of the reasons I fell in love with the spiritual path is like having tried so hard with everything from alcohol to drugs to sex to like all the material shit imaginable, trying so hard to fulfill that inner void, but then recognizing that what the spiritual path was offered was an opportunity to forget all of that. You know, to forget, not to forget the the world, I'm saying, but to forget your own specific craving for it. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, it, it there was a sort of subtle promise of like, you no, know, that deep inner void that you feel like you can never fill because no matter how far you go, it just won't be filled. Actually has, there is an actual fulfillment to that. And, and that to me feels like the actual shame with spiritual materialism. Like when we appropriate these spiritual ideas to just get what we want out of life, 
it sucks because then we turn it into just another thing that literally cannot satisfy. And so, and so that same inner void persists. Mm. So I put a poll on my Instagram a couple weeks ago about maybe some topics that people would want me to talk about on my podcast. Mm-hmm. And someone, um, if this was you, no offense to, to your entry, but someone put how to read, how to make reading young easier. And I'm like, it shouldn't be easy. It's not about grasping young. That is not what I think Jungian psychology is about. I think it's really about a contemplative activity. I think it takes a long time to get to a place where you're like, maybe I can follow in like what he's saying a little bit. Yeah, because there is a subtle like in that question, there is a subtle like, how can I use this guy's knowledge to get what I want? You know, or something like that. But you know, what's interesting is, is this past week, like I've been writing a paper on a Jungian idea and like I was telling you, I'm like, man, there feels like something in me shifting just as I'm wrestling with these ideas. And I really, it becomes clear to me how much I don't get when I'm trying to write about it. Um, But in so doing, I also feel this like, fundamental shift happening as I'm like sitting almost like the alchemist would contemplate the material right and it's interesting right because it's like in that process it's the process itself is being frustrated Mm. right so not only is the material being frustrated you are being frustrated by the material itself so fundamentally Mm. both are changing there's a frustration that has to happen it's this coagulation that has to happen in the process that like it shouldn't be easy because Mm -hmm. if it was easy then that implies that you know I don't know maybe you're making it about you Mm -hmm. and you know I think we've talked about this I'm not sure if we've talked about it on a deep end but how um I think it was Anderson Todd said that you know because Jung's writings vary so much in different periods of time in his life and they're kind of inconsistent and they they don't really finish themselves certain ideas it's really easy to kind of like grab and go at certain young principles stuff around the shadow and i think that actually is rooted in the spiritual materialism too because i think there was this seed of spirituality that young was was trying to wrestle with himself and and throughout his career and so you know at certain levels of consciousness he was writing and people can grab that at their level of consciousness but then not follow it through to see Hmm. you know like to complete it contemplate it hold it contain it see where it goes see where it goes yeah yeah as opposed to just like kind of grasping at it. And, you know, I just wrote a paper about like the difference between grasping for concepts and handling the material, mm-hmm. um, learning how to carefully handle things. Um, and I, I, I yeah. don't know. I just think that that's part of this whole conversation. Totally. Yeah. Cause we, there's a, I mean, well, it's all ego, right? So there's like a, the ego needs, loves, concept like what i can grasp what i can handle what i can or what i can manipulate essentially right um in order to satisfy my own sort of needs i think i want to read this 
Hillman quote. We speak in concepts, the ego and the unconscious, libido, energy, and drive, opposites, regression, feeling, function, compensation, transference. When working with these terms, we curiously forget that they are concepts only, barely useful, useful for grasping psychic events, which they inadequately describe. Moreover, we tend to neglect that these concepts burden our work because they become freighted with their own unconscious history. Mm. That's exactly what he's saying, is like, in the way that we speak in concepts and like just kind of grasp for these these spiritual things to like fill these voids it's ungraspable Mm, it is right it is fundamentally ungraspable and and you know um eric Fromm, the psychologist talked about this as the difference between having and being needs so a having need is something like i have a need i need i have a need to have water i have a need to have certain things right these are having needs to have food you know and and intellectual abstractions fall into the having category it's something that you you acquire knowledge i gain it i have it right but you have fundamental being needs right so you have the fundamental need to transform into who you really are and anything short of that isn't going to suffice that need that's a being need and that requires an actual transformation of your experience of yourself in the world and it can't be satisfied through the having function so when we have these like being needs and we try to satisfy them through the having mode so this is i mean this is one of the reasons i have such a difficult time with some of the modern uh, christian perspective is because it's an intellectual religion it's based on what you say it's based on right like salvation is based on on what you profess on a set of intellectual beliefs that you tell yourself what what i have is a belief and it's and it is insufficient if it doesn't lead to transformation because what you have is a being need. You have a, you have a need to fundamentally transform into who the divine put you here to be. And, then, and so I think that like when we try to go about these like fundamental needs which are based in the, the development of consciousness through that having intellectual mode, or having something material. I have a need to, like for example, um, I like that Verveke talks about this, you know, you and I are in love and there's a, there's a process of reciprocity that happens in that, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, we are actually transforming in relationship to each other. And so our need, that's a, that's a being need, right? Like this need to fall into deeper love is a being need because you have to transform your way there, mm-hmm. right? And it only happens in relation to you. But through materialism, right? If I have this being need, well, then I go out and I have sex, Right? So I try to satisfy what is like a deeper desire, a deeper desire for transformation through something I can attain, I can conquest, I can achieve. Mm. And, and that I think is where this like materialism world, like road keeps leading us astray and like leaving us fundamentally unsatisfied. So this like mind body split problem, because I'm super interested in that, mm. um, it's interesting because you're talking about these ideas, these concepts. Do you think that that is the symptom of being so separate from the reverence for the divine and matter? Uh, what like do you mean the, by that? So we're swinging on the pendulum from being completely 
um, disconnected from our bodies, right? And seeing the divine show itself through body, right? And so we compensate by making our ideas gods or making our beliefs gods or centering our ideas around a god and making that this like divine thing Mm -hmm. when actually we need to pull both of those down and just like kind of move between body and mind. Right. Right. So like... I'm just thinking about the intellectual compensation and how that is connected to spiritual materialism. Totally. Totally. But if it points you to a deeper embodied experience, Mm -hmm. it's helpful. But to the degree that it doesn't do that, it just can't help you. What do you say more on that? Well, like, like, you know, like the, 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 what's the thing like just essentially like you know accept that jesus died for your sins like the whole bit with being a christian today right it's like i just say something and then i'm there well if that points you to being a different way in the world then that will cause a fundamental shift in your embodied experience and then it's great but to the degree that it doesn't do that it can't help you it can't do anything it doesn't change anything except for the story you're telling yourself Mm mm-hmm Right, mm-hmm. and I think this comes back to McGilchrist. We mm-hmm. kind of weave him in every so often, of like so instead of religion being this um, embodied experience of the divine, it becomes a abstracted representation of the divine. Right, right, and so that, and so what you could say there too is like. The, the God image now that's, that we serve in our Western world has been hammered out through councils over long periods of time. Like lots of people are hammering, like wrestling, fighting over what this means, you know, what they find in scripture to create this God image that we have, right? Which now it's like the Trinity or whatever. Um, but you have to understand that that's all abstraction. <laughs> They're abstracting from the lived experience of this person who was Jesus, right? And I think that there's something radical in the Jesus myth personally because, or in the Christ myth personally, because so many, so many philosophies assert that enlightenment is you becoming God in essence and literally in essence. Um, But what the Christ myth actually says is God becoming me, which is a completely different thing. It is a descent of power. And that's actually what tantric philosophy teaches as well. You are a descent of the divine. God coming down to be you embodied. You're not embodied to not be embodied, right? Mm. So like there are particular experiences. Sex is one of them, right? That you can only have by being embodied. And so I think that, um, again, I think that there's a real tragedy when we miss that because there's like a whole aspect of being alive that we're missing. Well, okay, so this might feel like it's veering off topic, but uh, it's circling and I feel like it's important. Yeah, it's okay, better. so if people actually are transformed, so they say, <laughs> right, and um, they go through this this experience of, of feeling the divine in them and they're transformed and they're living that out. 
And let's say that now they have the idea to go host a workshop and have people pay $15,000 to also feel embodied by the divine. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like that's appropriation or do you feel like that is being um, bringing follow, <laughs> you know, like the Jesus, like trying to get people to, to come in, right? And I'm like, but Jesus was poor. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how does that show up in our culture, right? With all of these kind of like spiritual practices being having like a, a ten, fifteen thousand dollar price tag on them, is that spiritual appropriation because of materialism? Or not? Or maybe both. I think everybody has to arrive at their own place on that. But um, you know, in in the prosperity gospel that is super prevalent today, like well, you know, um, trying to think of the names actually we don't need to drop names but like you know you know they're on tv like cute living in mega you know mega churches like living in basketball courts shit like that right and then this person who who was you know killed as an enemy of the state penniless becomes the person that now wants me to be rich you know and there's like a real weird thing that's going on with that in my perspective it's spiritual materialism also though let's balance that and say you know, uh, as far as the West goes, Christ is the most enlightened person that we, I mean, his mind was so clear that he was God as the myth goes, right? And so, and he could only get 12 people to follow him. And one was an asshole, got him killed. So like only 11 good ones. So like the fact that we now live in a place where you can have 80,000 followers, where you can have, you know, like, I, it's just, I think that. It's too easy. No, there's some, no, I think, Jesus. no, no, I think there's something great about that. I think, I mean, there's something, there's a shadow to it, which is charlatans are everywhere, right? People that haven't done the work presenting themselves as like these spiritual masters all over the place. Um, That's like the downside. But then I think that there's a huge upside, which is like, you know, people that actually have some value to offer that are actually pointing toward the moon, you know, not toward themselves have a platform and have a way and also they have to live in this material like entrenched world where you do have to pay your bills and you do have to live so like my my perspective personally is like everyone has to figure out where they fall on that you know um Mm -hmm. and like what feels i think what feels right but but you know in the beginning or in in the bhagavad gita krishna says something like listen you know people in the very beginning he i the manifestation of God. He says, I created people and service as one and the same. They, they were never apart. They were supposed to be together. You, you were here to serve. And, and so if you want to find your fulfillment to being whatever you think you need to be here, it's going to be through that. And so I think that the litmus test is like, is it, is it my own desire that I'm serving or is there something different? You know, because I think... I tell this story often, sorry I've been talking so much, but I tell this story often where like, I don't know, I, I had a really shifting night for myself personally one, one night where I, 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 all of the ways in which I had been living so selfishly like were coming to the forefront of my consciousness and I felt like I couldn't keep them away. And by the end of that night, the thing that I realized is like what made this life so beautiful is that I got to be a part of it. It had nothing to do with trying to serve my own needs. And so there's like a risk of if I can let go of what I think I want, like the fullness of life is on the other side of that. The problem is the courage and the risk of letting go of what you think you want. Mm. You know? 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. There, I'm just kind of like sitting in the toughness of that. It's super tough. And that's kind of what I was trying to say at the beginning of the show. Of like navigating this is super tough because every single part of us, we have survival needs. Like these are so deeply rooted mm-hmm. that like it really does, you really do have to go against some kind of like fundamental inclination. Yeah. And just like really, you know, how we, you know, something I just told you I talked about is like taking our idealizations and our projections of God away from actual human people so that that space can open up within ourselves. Mm. Because the moment we feel like we're like trying to live up to some godly ideal, I think is where we're, we're just kind of lost. Can, what do you mean by that? Well, I think, you know, it's like trying to... I feel like I said that before I had all my thoughts on it. But, like, I just... there's something, I think, about, like... If you're serving so that you, like, impress other people or you're trying to live up to the ideal that other people have lived up to but it's actually for the human it's not for the the gods within mm-hmm. um i think there's something dissonant well you'll about find that. you'll find something resonant about that in every spiritual tradition you know christ says like don't don't be like the pharisees who like fast and try to show themselves all gaunt in public to like show what like godly people they are you know he's like He's like, they get their reward here, you know. And so um, I think that there is something essential about like, the, and this is what's hard for, I think, the Western person is like your intention really matters. Yeah, that's what, that's kind of what I'm like circling around is like, yeah, it's, I'm like slipping words. But it, it's like, what, what is my intention mm. here? You know, I asked that question that kind of took us down this this path about like you know what comes to mind is all of these potential appropriations of spiritual materialism Mm -hmm. and i i don't know i don't know what their intentions are so i can't like cast stones right i can only know what my intentions are but if all my attention is going there to take the attention off of where my intentions are i think that i need to check myself on that Right. And this is the crux of the matter is that like you have to check yourself constantly on all of this, right? Like constantly, constantly surrendering to the fact that you don't really know. Even we were talking about this the other day of like how if it's part of your identity to help people, that might keep you from actually helping people because there might be some part of you that needs them to change that needs them to get better, that needs them to accept a certain thing. And, and actually, if you're really here to help people, love people, then there's a, in, then there needs to be an unconditional aspect of that, mm-hmm. right? Of like, because if not, then what you're saying is I'll only help you if you do what I need you to do. And now we're back to manipulating the world to get what we want. Yeah. And so it's like yeah. that subtle and that, that, you know that quickly and yeah i had a conversation like practically speaking right and uh you know client interaction 
where I, I just had this intuitive sense that like she was not happy with me mm. <laughs> after the session. And that's got to be okay because I'm not perfect. But I'm here to show up for the imperfect situations that come up mm-hmm. because it's not about me and it's not about her. Actually, it's about the transformation process, the divine coming through the process. It, that's what it's about. Mm. And so when it becomes about what makes me comfortable, making her excessively worrying about what makes her comfortable, we're losing the whole point. Right, right. And I just think that there's got to be an okayness of the imperfection of stumbling through that. Because like you said, we have to check ourselves constantly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as you can tell, I think like we are, like there's a lot to fumble through here. There's like, it's a difficult concept to walk around and to talk about um but but i do think it's something worth contemplating in yourself like and and i guess part of what i want to do here is not put out like a uh any kind of doctrine or gospel of like this is how you should be in your life i think you should be exactly as you want to be but or like poo-poo on people you know right right but like like let's contemplate the depth of our intention and where it's actually leading us i think that's that's the value in all this yep Yep. And also, I think that's the point of the trauma in the soul book, too. I think it really opens up the, at least for me, it opened up to the dynamics that are happening underneath an experience of trauma, where it's not actually all about you just feeling better, mm. about there's something fundamentally happening under the surface. Mm. So, yeah. Cool. Thanks. <laughs>